This is the All Pro Wrestling 100 Podcast for December 3rd, 2020. I'm JB. This podcast is all pro wrestling and it is only pro wrestling. This episode we have a special AEW Dynamite Winter is Coming special event recap and review. Momentous regular television event with pay-per-view caliber matches. So much to cover, we're going to get to it right now. Kicking it off with the Dynamite Diamond Battle Royal. I guess you can call it the second annual since it's the second one. And maybe by the time the third one rolls around, I'll understand the rules. I spent this entire match trying to figure out who was in it, then trying to figure out who was going to win the ring, and it turns out that the winner doesn't win the ring. He just gets to go to another match, which I guess we'll have next week. So the guys I noticed up front when looking at a ring surrounded by people and a ring filled with people, here's who I noticed. Miro, Matt Hardy, Hangman Adam Page, Scorpio Sky, Sammy Guevara, Sean Spears, Wardlow, and MJF. I said, well, okay, these guys are the contenders. Now, I don't know how many there were, but it looked like there were over 20, and there were people surrounding the ring, referees on every side of the ring. We had women outside, we had valets, we had Penelope Ford, we had a bunch of members of the Dark Order who weren't fighting, we had Tully Blanchard, so ton of people. Wardlow starts outside, ends up inside, so at first I thought he wasn't in the match, and then he was. Again, I didn't even really know the rules. So here's what I can tell you happened that stands out. The crowd, to my knowledge, were wrestlers and people they placed there, because we're in the midst of a pandemic, and I don't know where crowd would have come from. But they didn't show the crowd. Maybe that was because they didn't want to show you that there were other people there up in the stands. I don't know. Matt Hardy got booed which leads me to believe that it was wrestlers in the crowd and they were told to start booing Matt Hardy. Matt Hardy's cut one heel promo and he got overwhelmingly booed for eliminating John Silver. It didn't make any sense. Meanwhile, speaking of John Silver, the Dark Order, something else we noticed, they're protecting Hangman Page during this match. They actually help him get back in the ring after he's thrown over the top. Matt Hardy eliminates Hangman Page. Orange Cassidy eliminates Kip Sabian. That will continue their feud. Lee Johnson, AEW's Iron Man. He's the hardest working guy in AEW. Currently 0-17 in his singles match. He hung around through the halfway point of the match before eventually getting eliminated by Miro. Miro then eliminates Matt Hardy and Private Party number one. Comes into Miro versus Wardlow. We got a preview of a match we'll probably see in the future. While MJF and Sammy Guevara hang out in the corner and watch. All three work together to eliminate Miro. After Miro's eliminated, we have the Inner Circle versus Jungle Boy. Uh, MJF eliminates both Sammy Guevara and Jungle Boy, which, of course, infuriates Sammy Guevara, uh, continuing the feud that these two are going to have and eventually a long series of matches. After a great sequence with Sammy Guevara and Jungle Boy on the apron, by the way, uh, these two were doing some crazy stuff on the apron. It was really impressive to watch, and it's a shame that MJF ruined it. It appears to be MJF versus Wardlow at that point, but they forgot about Orange Cassidy, who was hanging out outside. Orange eliminates Wardlow via two orange punches. So what I thought was about to be Orange versus MJF for the ring, the match stops. And they tell me that next week we're going to have Orange versus MJF for the ring. Again, give me three or four more of these and I'll figure out all the rules. I'll be able to look at at the ring setup and tell you who's in it. But today I was just watching everybody do whatever and promote storyline feuds and yeah, I don't know. You know, I think there's a little too much gimmickry in these battle royals. 
So I leave the first segment not very impressed, not a big fan of the Diamond Battle Royal, and we go into the second segment, which I was looking forward to, Frankie Kazarian versus Chris Jericho. I was kind of excited about this. This is the first time these two have ever been in the ring together. And although I'm not a big fan of Frankie Kazarian, I expected these two to put on a great show. But it turns out there was a lot of gimmickry here too. And this was inner circle doing all kinds of shenanigans and nonsense outside. And it was a lot less serious of a match than I expected it to be. Jericho's been putting on some really serious matches lately with some great opponents. And I thought Frankie Kazarian, because he's been working so stiff, these two would have a great match. Didn't really work out that way. It was just a match to push angles about conflict in the inner circle, mainly between Sammy Guevara and MJF. So next week, the inner circle says they're either going to work these conflicts out or they're done forever. And, you know, who knows? Chris Jericho's an alcoholic in real life, so you never really know. The inner circle could be done forever next week, regardless of what's written in storyline. Jericho wins this match with a juiced effect and a pin. Backstage, we have a promo where the Young Bucks are referred to, get ready for this, they're referred to as gay incest brothers by the acclaimed. Now, if you listen to this podcast, you know that we do our best not to cover the acclaimed because they're two guys that come out and do 1990s-style rapping, and they're terrible. And, you know, the acclaimed, they go on Britt Baker's new talk show on AEW Dark a couple of weeks ago, and this guy tries to freestyle, and he doesn't write anything, and he's terrible. He just embarrasses himself. He embarrasses the company. Just a waste of camera time. Well, he wrote something today, and he came out, and they embarrassed the Young Bucks. If the Young Bucks weren't embarrassed, they should have been embarrassed. This was good stuff, and normally, I try not to say anything offensive on this podcast, but they aired this, and I'm covering their program. So yeah, gay incest brothers looking at each other's junk. Uh, TH2 runs in and then beats up the Young Bucks, so they just the Young Bucks get punked all around. When TH2's getting over on you, and the acclaimed are making you look silly... Mm, I don't know, Young Buck. Next match, we got Layla Hirsch versus Britt Baker with Rebel. I'm not sure why this is on what is supposed to be a pay-per-view caliber event. I don't like Layla Hirsch. They keep booking Layla Hirsch like she's this MMA wannabe star, and I don't get it. She's like five foot three, and she doesn't really win matches against big names, and she's not real smooth in the ring. Speaking of smooth, I don't like the Pittsburgh Steelers, but Britt Baker really looks good in the Steelers bikini gear she wore to this event. I guess if you have to wear Steelers gear, you should wear it like that, because, yeah, she looks all right. Britt wins this via the Mandible Claw Lockjaw, and post-match Thunder Rosa runs in. Thunder Rosa's wearing pink beachwear under leather pants and a leather jacket. Listen, I'm not a fashion designer, so if you notice, I talk a lot about the clothes these women wear. It's because they're hot. Seriously, it's because I'm a guy. And I'm watching pro wrestling, and I grew up watching the WWF tell me that pro wrestling was a bunch of dudes in their underwear. And now I get to look at hot chicks. And yeah, they're hot, so I talk about what they wear. The WWE still doesn't really know how to dress their women. So, here's how it goes. The women of Impact and the women of AEW are better dressed and have better wardrobe people than the WWE. Now, you know the WWE has more money to throw at this stuff, and you know the people they have in these positions have way more experience. But I'm telling you, as a consumer of this product, Impact and AEW's women's product much better than the WWE's in many ways. But wardrobe, leading the front. AEW's wardrobe people, doing great work so far. Our fifth match, we got Darby Allin and Cody Rhodes versus Ricky Starks and Will Hobbs. They're calling it Team FTW, at least for now. Taz embarrassed himself on AEW Dark. I'm not going to get into the terrible things he said or my reaction to him. You can go listen to that podcast. 
It dropped a few hours ago. Ricky Starks 15-2 in singles matches this year in AEW. He's only lost two matches, one to Darby Allin, one to Cody Rhodes. We got double A in Darby and Cody's corner with Taz in Team FTW's corner. Will Hobbs, I didn't know this, he broke Julian Edelman's collarbone once playing high school football. He used to be a punt returner, so you can think about that. He's one guy used to take on 11 guys. I guess he is tough. Uh, JR says that Will Hobbs can bench 475, which probably means he benched close to that one time in a rep, uh, a set of one. Most likely, he can bench 400 pounds, probably over 400 pounds right now. That's crazy numbers, even though pro wrestling exaggerates these things. 400 pounds is 400 pounds. That's a crazy amount of weight. So Will Hobbs, the real deal powerhouse Will Hobbs. Darby Allen may be the best seller on this roster. This guy can sell, and I don't know if it's just because he's small, but boy, he can sell. He takes a bump. I figure if you can bounce off concrete the way he does skateboarding, you can take a power slam from Will Hobbs, and he's proving that he can. At Taz outside, by the way, great as a manager. He's animated. He's got a real menacing look. I like his outfit. Taz, good at ringside, not good on the commentary desk. I think we've established that. Taz, as in his career, good in the ring. So Taz, good in the ring. Taz, good at ringside. Taz, not good at the commentary desk. This match ends with Darby dropping a coffin drop on Ricky Starks, and he gets the pin. And here we go. It's time to get excited. And I'm getting excited because I know we're getting close to it. Uh, And I'm just here to talk about it. Imagine how I felt when I was watching it. Post-match, Team FTW comes in. Hobbs on Darby. Double A gets in the ring. Hobbs beats up Arn Anderson. Uh, Brian Cage comes out. So all of Team Taz, Cage, Ricky Starks, Hobbs, Taz... They take turns beating on Cody. They beat up Dustin. Dustin comes out to try to help. They beat up Darby. They're beating up Double A. The lights go out. When the lights come on, there's like a black and white video of winter arriving. Because, you know, this whole theme is winter is coming. And Sting comes out on the ramp. Snow starts falling. It's in Jacksonville, keep in mind. But snow is falling in, in the arena that's... It's arranged this way. They've managed to make it snow because, honestly, they've managed to make hell freeze over. Look, I'm a mark, but I'm a realistic mark. And I'm a grown-ass man. I don't know if it's COVID. I don't know if it's the year we've had. I don't know if it's things in my personal life that maybe I haven't dealt with the way I should have. But when Sting got in the ring and he got in Arn Anderson's face, there was this moment, and I, I shed a tear. I shed two. I cried over a pro wrestling moment, and for a lot of reasons. And I think I'm going to have a special segment podcast where I talk about what it means that Sting is here in AEW, because I think that deserves 10 or 15 minutes of a podcast, and and I don't want to go into all that here right now. But this was a moment. JR said it. I really, I wish they would have laid back the way the WWE guys know to lay back in commentary when there's a real moment happening now. They're experienced enough and confident enough to know to lay back. But AEW is new. Tony Schiavone, he doesn't have confidence in anything in his life. And I think JR is just trying to wrangle this, this big three- and four-man team at times. So they didn't lay back. Excalibur tried to lay back, but it was a great moment. We're going to jump in and play a little bit of it here.
there are fans. There are fans in the crowd that they waited all night to show. They're wearing winter clothes, because I understand it's in the 40s. It does get cold in Florida, for those of you that don't know. Uh, it does get cold down there. And I'm seeing it now, the moment where Sting gets in Arn Anderson's face. These two, the four horsemen, were set up to be the nemesis and the foil to Sting, who was set up to be the babyface hero for WCW NWA World Championship Wrestling. Sting took part in the last match. Vince McMahon wanted Sting and Ric Flair in the ring when he bought the company, and he knew that he was about to produce the last Monday Nitro. WWE brought Sting in just to bury him. WrestleMania comes along. I don't want to talk about anything that happened before or after WrestleMania because no one remembers it, but WrestleMania, Triple H versus Sting, he had this huge DX and NWO run-in. It was a great moment, but the fact is, WWE could have protected Sting, but they didn't want to. They wanted Sting to look old. They wanted Sting to look tired. They wanted Sting to look bald. And so Sting looked like all of those things. Hunter Hearst Helmsley would have never looked like those things. And maybe Hunter's justified in saying, you know what, I know better and I know enough not to look like those things. And if Sting doesn't, so be it. But I think that Vince and Hunter and a lot of other people liked the idea that the icon of WCW came in looking old and looking beaten and then being beaten on the biggest stage that he ever got to wrestle in. Well, you know what? AEW will protect Sting. Tony Schiavone announced this is a multi-year deal. AEW believes in protecting their assets. And, you know, for that matter, if Hunter and if WWE would have made Sting look like the old Sting, then it would have looked even more impressive when Hunter beat him at WrestleMania. But they weren't interested in giving you a great WrestleMania match, and they weren't interested in giving you a match where Hunter beat the best Sting. You can believe that if Sting does jobs here for somebody, you'll get the best Sting they can give you. And when Sting gets in the ring, they're going to do the best they can to showcase Sting's strengths and hide his weaknesses because that's what you do with your assets if you care about your product. You talk to him about their career and their legacy. You send him to a multi-year deal because you say, we want to be in the Sting business. And Yeah, and we want Sting to give the rub to young talent. We want to invest in you so you can invest in us. That's the way you do business, and that's the way AEW has done business thus far in their year plus. I was very excited to see Sting. This is quite a moment. I grew up with World Championship Wrestling, WCW on Saturday nights, thinking that WWF in New York was hokey and was clown-like, and it was like the circus of pro wrestling. And so Sting and Ric Flair fighting in dingy arenas with real concrete floors and bad lighting, that was real to me. That was pro wrestling. And the fact that Sting can still wear that trench coat and carry that bat, I don't know. I feel like a piece of me and my childhood gets to come back that Vince McMahon tried to stomp out a few years ago at WrestleMania. So thank you, Sting, and thank you, Tony Khan. And you might wonder, well, how do you follow that? Well, you follow it with a world title match that everybody's looked forward to and that everybody says has two of the best wrestlers in the world, John Moxley and Kenny Omega. Omega looking a little chub, and it made me worry because I've been predicting that Kenny Omega was going to win this match for a month now. Uh, and I thought, hey, who gets chub before they win the world title? Who lets their midsection go and gets a little fat? So I thought, ah, maybe they had a change of plans and he's not feeling real good. Uh, they tell a story here where Omega works John's left knee throughout the entire match. Of course, we have not one but two commercial breaks during this match, which I talked a couple of weeks ago about AEW and their superfluous use of commercials in matches that they tell you are important for titles. I hate that. 
if you expect me to pay attention to what you're doing, then please devote enough attention to it so that I don't have to watch a commercial for some self-rising pizza, okay, or whatever. Uh, did you know Lego runs commercials and like primetime adult programming? That's crazy. I saw a Lego ads, so I guess maybe I'm glad you ran commercials. I don't know. If you got somebody you like and you respect them, maybe they're a little bit intellectual. They like to think. They're creative. I don't know. You want a good gift idea? Buy them 10 pounds of Legos. Go buy a lot of 10 pounds of Legos and just be like, hey, go build. Seriously, it may take them a while, but eventually they'll thank you for that. Now, continuing with the match, since you know they stopped for a commercial break, I thought I would too. John Moxley, uh, he has a sore knee now, so he sets two chairs up in the center of the ring, and these two idiots take turns punching each other in the face. They just sit in these chairs and they punch each other in the face. But I gotta tell you, it's unique, and you don't see that much in the middle of a main event world title match. Hits a second paradigm shift, Moxley. Omega kicks out at two. Moxley tries a tope suicida, but he gets caught with a knee to the face. Omega follows up in a few moments with a Tiger Driver 98. He gets a two count. Omega has a great drop kick, by the way. It's a Japanese style. It's high and it's compact. He waits till his opponent gets really close. I dig the Japanese style high compact drop kick. I like that. The referee calls for a doctor after Moxley suplexes Omega outside into some fake heaters. But Moxley's like, I ain't having this. And he interrupts the doctor's consult and he sends Omega back into the ring. Uh, Don Callis from Impact. He joined on commentary before this match, as he had done last month when this tournament started. Callis like an uncle to Omega, a childhood family friend. So when Kenny gets hurt, Don Callis goes down to ringside and he tries to tell everybody they should stop the match because Kenny's hurt. At some point during this, the microphone gets into the ring. Moxley punches out Don Callis but then gets hit from behind in the head with the microphone by Kenny Omega. Real heel move, real heel move. Omega hits the one-winged angel. He pins Moxley. He is the new champion. This is the third AEW champion in AEW's history. Third AEW title reign in AEW's history. And Callus and Omega run out together. Uh, you actually catch a glimpse of Tony Khan in the production area in the gorilla position, or the go position as it's called in Impact. Tony Khan's there with a headset, he yells at them as they run by, and they run the story that they are escaping with the title into the night. Now, here's my favorite part for all of you elitists, literal elitists, right, who you can't decide between NXT on Wednesdays and AEW, and you live for SmackDown and Raw. It's like you sit on the edge of your chair waiting to see what the Street Profits are going to do. And when AEW rolls around, you get to put on your elite cap and you get to root for the Young Bucks. And guess what just happened? Your world title got taken to Impact Wrestling. I want to say it again. Your world title got taken to Impact Wrestling because Tony Khan has respect for the Impact Wrestling product that I've been putting over for a year and change on this podcast. And they have absconded with your title and storyline. And for the first time, we're going to actually see some AEW on Impact as opposed to all the impact that we've been referring to on AEW. And I'm so happy about this, because I have been a loyalist of Impact for a long, long time. And Impact has been the butt of a lot of jokes on podcasts, a lot of jokes in the wrestling community, a lot of jokes when you're just talking to people about pro wrestling. It's like one of those topics everybody thinks it's okay to take shots at. Well, is it okay to take shots at Kenny Omega? Because the world says he's the best wrestler in the world. And now he holds one of the most prestigious titles in the world, and that's not going to be on Dynamite next week, and it's not going to be on Raw or SmackDown. It's going to be on little old Impact Wrestling on Axis. And you want to talk about a ratings boost? I, I am predicting 
we're going to see a ratings boost of two to three times the normal impact rating. You can go and mark that down, folks. Mark it down. Mark it down. Two to three times the normal impact on access rating. Thank you, Tony Khan, for partnering with Impact. I love Impact, and they need a chance, and now they're going to get one. In less than 18 hours, I have put three podcasts out in less than 18 hours. I have an error and omissions section from last week real quick. I'm aware that Drew McIntyre and Brock Lesnar was not the quickest world title match in history. Brett versus Yokozuna went 2 minutes and 6 seconds. Hogan versus Yokozuna went 22 seconds. And Sheamus versus Daniel Bryan went 18 seconds. I was generalizing. You all need to relax. It was a joke. Thank you for tuning in. Check us out on Twitter. Email us, tweet us. Subscribe where you listen. This has been the All Pro Wrestling 100 Podcast.